A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode and a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... It's Andy! And I'm David. It's Jan! And this week, we're uh, getting into part two of What's My Line? This is episode 10 of season two. It originally aired November 24th, 1997, and it was written by Marty Noxon and directed by David Semmel. This episode immediately gets, you know, in from the cliffhanger with our proper introduction to Kendra the Vampire Slayer. And we've been holding off. We said last episode, let's not really get into Kendra until part two, because that's when we really get to know Kendra. But we got to get into Kendra. So. Right. Uh, what the, My first trivia fact is Bianca Lawson was cast as Cordy. Yes, yes, I did. But due to scheduling conflicts, she couldn't do it. And that's when Charisma was brought in to do it instead. So I love Charisma. And I think she's an amazing Cordy. She's like perfect. But the alternate universe where Bianca Lawson and an actual person of color was a member of the Scooby gang would have been interesting. Would have looked more like she belonged in high school because she still looks like she belongs in high school. I know. She's ridiculous. Well, no, she she looks like she belongs in CW high school. Well, yeah. Not actual high school, it's CW or WB high school where everyone's 25 years old, but she looks like she's 25 years old. But I mean, like, even when uh, American Horror Story first premiered, uh, Bianca Lawson, I mean, granted that was seven years ago now, but Bianca Lawson was still playing a high school student and she looked, you know, okay as a high school student. Was she on American Horror Story? She was just for like one episode, but uh, in the first season. Oh, it was the episode with with Tate. Yeah, and they leave the property and for Halloween. Yeah, you're right. Well, not not that one. She was uh, one of the mean girls who attacks. uh, uh, What's her name? Oh, Violet. Violet. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Tasia was like an act was 15 at the time, and Bianca didn't look like terribly out of place next to an actual 15 year old i know she's ridiculous i'm like what what demon did she sell her soul to to look like that she's absolutely like we'll talk about the ex and we'll talk about in a second but like my scooby girls are beautiful allison charisma sarah michelle geller are gorgeous but like i cannot take my eyes off of bianca lush and she is ridiculous ridiculously beautiful she is oh, she's stunning and i was saying before that she's, it's just like it's from a certain angle she looked like rihanna who i think is like a knockout too mm-hmm. so it was just like kind of a weird cultural thing like because obviously rihanna wasn't a thing then i don't even know if she was born yet but yeah, <laughs> oh my god she's absolutely stunning <laughs> yeah and honestly like i mean i love charisma but it would have been nice to have like a person of color in the scooby gang because let's face it now the buffy verse has never been good about their diversity nope yeah i mean like the only main character that is a person of color is gun and he's not even going to appear for Several more oh, seasons. Oh, and there's, but there's also Robin. I do love Robin. Yeah, there's Robin, but that's not till like, scene you six, season seven? Yeah. Right, main character. 
Yep, yeah. Robin's not around till season seven. I mean, they did have a couple of recurring characters, but... Uh, it... But even the high school, I'm like... And you know what? If I go to certain parts of town here in Albuquerque, I'm not going to say the schools are all white because you're going to have half the school population be Hispanic. But there's a whiteness about those schools, whereas if you go to a different part of town, you're going to have 85% Hispanic instead of 40%. Yeah. So, like, and that's even in New Mexico. Yeah, like, honestly, my, I mean, I'm granted I'm in New York, but I'm in the suburbs, but my suburb, and we had one African-American family when I was in high school. There were two sisters. So out of my graduating class, which originally was 750, which then went down to 690-ish by the time we all graduated, there was one African-American student in the entire class of 1980. So, but which doesn't excuse the fucking producers it doesn't excuse the diversity on television, but it does not excuse the producers because they and when they do have people of color on the show, it's real problematic. Which brings us to um, Kendra's accent. Oh, God. <laughs> she got it from the same school as Angel's accent. It's like they went to the same store. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I feel so, I feel so bad for her, though. I like, do, too. She had like two days one day's notice kendra wasn't supposed to be jamaican they added it at the last minute yeah which wasn't then somebody makes... like a producer or a director suddenly said oh by the way you're jamaican and it was like yeah, yeah two days and they before. got and they, she listened to tapes and she had a dialect coach but it was like two days notice and they gave her a dialect that was like some really obscure yeah. dialect mm-hmm. from that area and it just sounds like fake Jimmy. It's it's really, really bad. And every everybody just pours on poor Bianca Lawson because of the accent. And it's not good. No, it's not. But it's I, terrible. I it's not like if I had to learn an accent in two days that I was completely unfamiliar with, I would be just as bad. Kendra's dialogue is meant to be stilted. She's meant to be very, you know, socially awkward. And the addition mm. of the accent just makes her even more stilted because she's trying to put on this accent. So Bianca Lawson comes off as a much worse actress than she actually is. I've seen her in other yeah. things and she is she is quite good. Yeah. And she got shit on in the fandom. Shit on. Oh, she did. She still gets shit on. And see, I actually like Kendra, despite it all, because I think... Oh, I love Kendra. I love Kendra. As a character, she's fascinating, and I think she's a really, really good contrast to Buffy in terms of everything, and it's just a shame that it gets... The performance gets lost because of that stupid accent, which is just so, like... You know, it sticks out like such a sore thumb that you can't really concentrate on what she's doing because you're just hearing this, you know, really awful... Do store thumbs really stick out? I mean, do you look at someone's <laughs> thumb and say, Wow! really sore but she does it like it's just such a distraction from everything else because it's like yeah me yeah and it it really does it makes her performance not again you're dealing with learning dialogue you're dealing with a new set with new actors and people you don't know and you throw on with like two days notice and accent it's Makes it's it not what really she's difficult. done before. It's not like somebody like Dulé Hill, let's say, whose family is actually Jamaican. Mm-hmm. So when he puts on the Jamaican accent, he knows it because he grew up with yeah. it. Yeah. 
you know, and she's like, yeah, she's coming out of left field and the poor woman. Yeah. And just, like I said, her dialogue is meant to be uncomfortable, but it comes off as more mm-hmm. uncomfortable because of this accent, which is not a good thing. Because I think when you're playing a character who is socially awkward or, you know, not used to talking to people, there's a lot of nuance that needs to be put in so that they still come off like an actual person. But yeah, I love Kendra. I don't think Kendra got really a fair shake because this... Here's what I would have loved to see. Like, at, at spoiler alert, obviously this whole podcast is a spoiler alert. I always really wish they'd handled it like she got really injured instead of Drusilla killing her. And she gets better. She leaves again. She goes back to Slay in Jamaica or wherever the Watchers Council sends her. And you would still, but she dies for a minute just like Buffy did. And that's how they bring Faith in? And that's how they call Faith because all the Slayer line is now through Kendra to Faith. To, it's not through Buffy anymore. And she could have like come back for a one-off, but then been part of the end of season seven. Like it would have just expanded though. I, I really think that killing her just to have Faith is, you could have kept her. You could have right. kept her. I do have some minor trivia, which is more for season seven than it is for this, but I'll bring it up now because it kind of connects to what you're talking about. Apparently they wanted uh, Kendra to come back in season seven as the first evil, but uh, it was, um, I I believe Bianca Lawson was doing something then and was unable to. That would have been kind of cool, but... But since we also get into this whole idea of more than one Slayer... um, I would like to have a little rant on this whole one Slayer in all of the world thing, and I've probably brought it up before. Da-da-da! Rant! But I have so much problems with this whole one Slayer in the world thing. Like, I mean, maybe there's, like... We do see later on how the Slayers are created, and it's taking the essence of a demon and putting it into a girl, so I don't know if, like, the Shadow Men were just unable to, like harness enough power to do that more than once but the whole thing of only having one in the entire world is bullshit (laughs) just what we see from what we see in the show it's clearly not impossible it's not impractical i mean it we we in this in this episode we have two existing slayers who both have slayer powers so so the yeah, the, I mean the idea that oh they could only do it to one. It's like well, obviously not. I'm gonna say this is the only time I'm gonna defend the Shadowmen because they're gross. What they did to that girl is yeah. that maybe at the time they really only thought they needed that Slayer for that purpose in that area. Yeah, like they yeah, weren't they the didn't Watchers. Know how big canceled. the world was back in the right. Like, so times. I don't you know that would be the only justification I could see for that whole only being one Slayer is because they didn't think it was going to be a worldwide... They just needed it for their... For the badness that was happening. I don't know. I I just made that up. I suppose I can see, like, if you're the Watcher's Council, and, I mean, all of the complaints we've had against the Watcher's Council and them using the Slayers as tools, that if they had Mm. more Slayers, then the Slayers are more likely to combine together and rebel against the Watcher's Council. They're going to unionize, and you don't want to unionize Slayer. Yeah, but, I mean, like, we have this one Slayer who is... Always in Sunnydale, and if you go, you know, 50 miles down the coast, then you've got this, you know, uh, in- entire demon culture in L.A., which will come up in Angel, where, I mean, right. and I mean, like, Buffy is located on the Hellmouth. We know for a fact 
that there's at least two more Hellmouths. We, there's one in mm-hmm. Cleveland, mm-hmm. and then in the comics, they also establish that there's one in Easter Islands. And there's possibly more than that. So basically, the Watcher's Council sucks. Well, yes. Right. And they also, really like, logically, do. you would think vampires are all over the world if there's, you know, if she's learning to, like, fight vampires in Jamaica. I'm sure there's vampires that hang out in London and New York and Transylvania, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Why do the Watchers Council need to be this giant council? I mean, not giant. You don't know how actually big it is. But it's like a huge, relatively huge council to look after one girl. Yes, they're doing mystical research. Yes, they have contacts in the under demon underworld. But at the same time, it's like, I don't, it's a met, I mean, it's obviously a metaphor. It's like all these basically white dudes, like being in charge of a bunch of girls or one girl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and trying to control their lives. Yeah. I read some amazing fan fiction. And again, I'd have to use the Wayback Machine, and I don't know what it was called because it was way back in the day before you had archives. Great story, super dark about them keeping, basically doing the plot of Flatliners to the Slayers. They would kill them and bring them Ooh. back so they could make an army of Slayers. Oh, that's dark. And yeah. they still had Buffy and Faith alive. They had Buffy and Faith alive and like, the 20 something cent 22nd century or something and they just kept killing them and bringing them at like you know like flatliners but not starring julia roberts and keith or sutherland it was the creepiest darkest most awesome fanfic and i really wish i could find it yeah that sounds very cool it does sound really interesting yeah you know when you say the, you know, the whole watchers council is there to look after one girl it's not really true because well because i mean I mean, Kendra was trained, and we learned that... You know, oh, that's that, right. They have potentials, And later, yeah. and the potentials all had watchers. And uh, so, yeah. So it's, it's. I mean, there is, you know, the the whole... There, there, there are a lot of watchers out there doing training. Very, very, very fair point, David. Thank you for reminding me of that. This is actually a really good uh, the jumping off point uh, in terms of... You know, the Watchers and the Slayer dynamic and, you know, what's going on with Buffy. And uh, we start to see this in this episode. And I really think actually what the Watchers Council is doing with the potential Slayers is they're not really training. They're indoctrinating these young girls. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because Kendra, she sounds like somebody mm. who come out of a cult. Um, in terms of everything, including down to the handbook, you know, she was like raised and taken away from her parents and just yeah. like trained and, and, and indoctrinated and, and just like brainwashed into this is what I do. And that's not Buffy. I do question if that's something specific to her or, or, or her culture, because she says in their culture, you know, the Slayer is important, etc. Because when we see the potentials in season seven, they're not all as sheltered and I mean, they're they're from all different cultures and some of that causes some weird issues, mm-hmm. but but none of them seem as incredibly sheltered as as Canada That's that's is. true. And some of them had watchers and some of them didn't. Yeah. I do think yeah. the Slayer's handbook is more of a potential handbook. So that it is, you are training a girl to become the Slayer. And the mm. reason why the Slayer's handbook is not really appropriate to Buffy is because she is already the Slayer and they already need to throw her into these, you know, dangerous situations because they need to, to do this with her because they need to have a Slayer out there. Question, is that giant book that says vampire on it supposed to be the Slayer handbook? 
Which Giles never brings out again, like the minute he Maybe, meets yeah. he's like, yeah, never mind, yeah, never mind. I, I don't know, I kind of like the idea that Giles just has this, that giant book, and it's actually blank, and it's just a <laughs> It's a diary, <laughs> no, it's his, like, it's the Watcher's journal, it's his journal that he yeah. writes things in, I don't know. No, I, I really like the idea that it's just a prop, that he, he does, like... I'm meeting my Slayer for the first time. I want to have this this impressive looking thing. And it's like, wham! Because I think it's the biggest book they ever show. <laughs> I love it. That's great. I love it. Headcanon accepted. The pages are actually cut out to hold a rock hammer in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like very like Monty Python. It's only a model. Yes. <laughs> this episode does bring up a question for me in terms of season seven. Kendra was given to her watcher when she was younger because the Slayer is very important in their culture. But we do find out later on that several of the potential Slayers have watchers that they've been with. And I actually get the impression that Faith had been with her watcher for a while because she... She was. She was with a watcher before she... Because... What is the name of the vampire with the cloven hooves? He killed her watcher. Yeah, so I mean, Faith must have only been the Slayer for a couple of months uh, by the time Kikistos killed her watcher. But Faith had already had a very close relationship with her watcher, enough that it very much traumatized her. She was with her for a while. So what I would like to know is if in Kendra's culture, it makes sense that she would go to Mr. Zabudu when she was younger. And even with Faith, I can kind of explain it away in that Faith had a very rough home life. Uh, it's established, so maybe Faith was a runaway. But for most of these slayers, like, how do the watch do the watchers abduct them? Uh, do they, like, do the whole Hogwarts thing mm. where they just come to the family and be like, yeah, your kid's a slayer. You're a slayer, Harry! <laughs> you get a letter from a vampire bat. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, I just can now I'm imagining Giles standing, not at Buffy, at someone else's door and being like, you're a slayer, Harry! <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that is and that is a really good question because I mean certainly like any any slayer from America, I mean like there there is absolutely not any cultural background to work yeah. with here. <laughs> well, in in the and again they're not full canon, but in those tales of the slayer novels or uh, short story collections that I bring up, a lot of times they're they're being found by the watchers. Yeah, like the the part of the thing, especially the ones in America. The watchers are coming to them and being like, so this is who you are. And some of them are potentials. The spell from the episode Potential, like the actual episode Potential, uh, that's like not a spell that Willow came up with. That was a spell from the Watcher's Council, wasn't it? No, it was a spell from the 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 ladies with the gray hair, the white hair. Huh? The, the, what are, what are the observer, like that lady that shows up in the crypt with the white hair... That Caleb kills. Yes, but I thought they were only referenced. And no, I, I no, I'm not talking about the spell to turn them into potentials, but the the actual episode potential, where Dawn. Oh, thinks, that spell. They think, oh, I don't know. They think Dawn. Uh, they they do this spell and they think Dawn is the slayer for a little bit, but it turns out that Amanda is like standing behind the it's door. Amanda. Yeah. Uh, I got the impression that that was actually a spell that the Watchers Council used to identify potential slayers. Mm-hmm. Well, they would they would have to have something. I mean, they some must have something. It. And actually, uh, one thing that like this whole Kendra growing up 
being the Slayer, does bring up this whole question of how did Buffy slip through the cracks? Um, I think I'm defaulting back to my usual uh, answer is the Watcher's Council sucks well, yeah, and is incompetent. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they're missing, they're probably missing tons of them. Because as mm-hmm. we see in the very last episode with all those girls just, like, standing up, the one playing baseball, the mm-hmm. one, like, about to punch back her abuser, like, they, there's obviously, they're not with a Watcher. Yeah. But then some of the potentials that they bring in are, did have Watchers, like, Joanne had a yeah, Well, I, part of me does wonder if, I mean, if that's because they only go so far down the line. True, that makes sense. Oh God, I'm 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 you know going way into like way beyond anything the show talks about. But I mean, like, at what age does your potential manifest? And at what what age do the Watchers take a potential? Mm. They took Kendra. She doesn't remember. I mean, her Kendra parents. Kendra's taken very young, yeah. obviously, like so young that she's only seen pictures of her parents. Yeah. Had I actually continued my virtual series that I was working on uh, in my la- my final season of it, I was actually going to introduce a Slayer who had become, she was basically born like within hours of Willow's spell. So she had been a Slayer from like basically birth. And so she was going to have been kidnapped and, like, raised to be, like, this, you know, like, assassin slayer. It was going to be awesome. But I stopped writing that because I started to try to write for a living and nobody's paying for me. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. (laughs) But I think, like, the potential is with them from birth. And it's just a matter of when they happen to find them. They do bring up the question of aging out of your potential because Kennedy mentions that at one point, whether or not she's too old to become the Slayer. Which is the reason why I was not activated when that spell went into... Exactly. Because I was already well into... I was like 28 years old. Yeah. So that's why. That's why I also didn't get my Hogwarts letter. (laughs) Same. Okay, go ahead and make your point there, MC. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think that was about it, is that, you know, uh, I don't think there's ever too young for potential, uh, but there might be too old. Because, I mean, like, Kennedy is also just being a brat, because that's what Kennedy yeah. does. I assume eventually they do age out of p- their potential, because otherwise... Yeah, because you don't want a geriatric slayer coming into it, you know, with, like, arthritis and you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's just not going to yeah. work. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming Kennedy's, like, over 21 because she does go to the bronze and have a drink with Willow. Yeah. Well, the, the bronze's age requirements have always been a little a little flexible. <laughs> well, I know, but I think they do have a... Well, also, it's possible that Kennedy was next after Faith because Faith is the Slayer for quite a long time. I think the order in which the length of Slayerdom goes... Buffy, Nikki, and then Faith. Because Nikki was the Slayer for a very long time. I believe Nikki was the Slayer for like seven or eight years before she died. Yeah. And she was obviously much older than what we usually see of Slayers, just based off of her, you know, appearance. I suspect Nikki was called at a younger age, but if she was the Slayer for seven or eight years, yeah. They do address it in one of the, in a story that she was actually pregnant with Robin during her, uh, was it the Crucimatium? 
So she was. So uh, she was. That's when she's eighteen. Is that when it happened? Yeah. Yeah. So she was eighteen when she was pregnant, and Robin was four or five when she died. Yeah. So yeah. Based on the little kid they have. Yeah, and she had been in the Slayer for a couple of years before. So. Anyway, yeah. Anyways, because Nikki's a badass. Yeah, we've but, been talking about Slayer yeah. lore for like twenty five minutes. <laughs> that, and that's fine. I mean, like Slayer lore is really important yeah. because I think in this case we're talking about Kendra and we're talking about the Slayer line. So I think it really was important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I would like to bring up for this episode, and this bugs this bugs me even more than Kendra's accent. What? Wait, there's an episode. <laughs> Her costume. Her costume bugs the shit out of me. Oh my god. I mean, she looks really hot in it, but if she's that sheltered and she's so whatever, why is she wearing like a crop top and and looking and and her hair and the makeup? She's like so sexy. It's like, what? Bianca Lawson would look beautiful in a paper bag. Yeah, she would. They don't need to try so hard because, I mean, she's wearing satin pants and this crop top. And her makeup is, like, so on point. I mean, she's even got, like, at the time, this sort of, like, two-tone lipstick. And, like, where did she learn to do all this? But but if she didn't have a decent wardrobe, the climax of the show wouldn't yeah. happen. And I- <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I have to say about her wardrobe. Yeah, it sucks. It's really... First of all, it's impractical. You don't fight yeah. with hoop earrings on and a giant necklace that we grabbed. But right. her entire outfit signifies her othering. Right, she's got the big chunky jewelry. Like, if you read a lot of things about fashion and fashion history, uh, Tom and Lorenzo, who's the website, they usually eventually started its project Run Gay, but they came up with this amazing fashion series called Mad Style when Mad Men was on. Right, and now I can't unsee a lot. I, I mean, it's detailed stuff. It's not just a gossip blog. It's like detailed stuff about time period. Um, and now I can't help but notice this in costume design in movies and television shows, that kind of jewelry signifies lower class people of color, specifically black women. Because you're saying they're sort of going like ratchet or whatever. Like the, the, the big, not like a nice delicate hoop earring, but it really, those things are signifiers of lower class people of color, specifically black and Hispanic women. Little white, sweet little white girls don't wear earrings like that Mm -hmm. in fictional television i'm not saying in the real world yeah yeah i was gonna say it's also almost like you know it's like rose tyler or chav culture or whatever too but yeah, yeah I, I mean I know right but yeah. it, it is it is specifically used to show the exoticness i'm making air quote fingers like that, that kendra's costume now looking on it knowing what i know is really 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 problematic and really offensive to me because like and i didn't really notice the thing with the people of color in the big earrings because I'm used to big earrings like yeah. that giant hoop earrings. Cause it's like required wearing in New Mexico, but that comes from Chola culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, you similar. know, that comes from a very similar culture with the, the big heavy jewelry and the eyeliner, but like all that, all Kendra's costume is doing is seeking to other her yeah. in our eyes in comparison to the white people on the show. And it's really pisses me off. Rant ended. For me, the necklaces, I mean, they were nice, but it was like, it seemed very like, oh, look how exotic she is, yep. which, you know, kind of ties into it. I mean, some of it I think was sort of, from what I remember, like, it seemed to also be coming from like MTV culture at the time of music videos, which, you know, 
It may not have been like a conscious effort on the costume designer's point to do this, but yeah, I, I you know, because it's a little bit like TLC or I don't specifically think they said, oh, let's be problematic and racist. I think they're like, oh, she's from Jamaica. Let's stick her in hoop earrings and a big necklace. Yeah. Right. And also, let's look at some like, you know, I, for me, like I said, it's like very like TLC, the band TLC or the group yeah. TLC or whatever. Let's look at Who are all videos black. And, like, what do like attractive women look like? And, you know, let's let's steal that because she'll be really in and hip. But, yeah, there's kind of a an underlying message. There. Right. But she's from Jamaica. She doesn't know people. She hardly talks to anybody right. but her watcher. And then they and they've dressed her like an urban black woman. Yeah, that's I, I was actually going to bring that up. That actually it's like she's supposed to be, a, you know, air quotes exotic, but she still looks like she could be from Southern California. Like there's nothing. She yeah, looks I, like a member of TLC. Yeah. You're right, Jan. Right. That's what I'm saying. And also to me, like the fact that she's like had such a sheltered background and blah, blah, blah. And then she's walking in looking like a supermodel and like wearing like sexy clothes and like this makeup on point and her hair on I mean, her hair. Maybe if you want to like say cultural and I'm white girl from New York, so I'm not going to like comment about like black girl hair because i don't know but yeah she just looks it's like very very urban it's also very very chic and she really and i think if they'd had a white character that came in looking like that on point in terms of fashion get up in the background if she's like so sheltered that would be crazy she should look like you know like very minimal by comparison what she should look like is buffy from the episode the wish right because they yeah because if you think about Buffy from the episode The Wish she's got her hair tied back in like this very you know tight ponytail utilitarian uh it's not she's only wearing a cross like why the fuck isn't Kendra wearing a cross we know that crosses work to repel vampires and also like apparently bright colors are a thing for vampires I mean they never bring that up outside of The Wish but that's the whole reason like Buffy's not wearing camo she's just wearing very flat colors and also Sarah still looked fucking gorgeous because you can't dress Sarah Michelle Geller badly. No, you can't. She's yeah. And the same thing would have happened with uh Bianca Lawson. If you had dressed her plainly, she still would have looked gorgeous because she's Bianca fucking Lawson. It's just it would have I think even set up the differences between Buffy and Kendra better while, you know, getting rid of like this racial tension in it. Uh, if if yeah. you had had Buffy be this, you know, high fashionista and Kendra was incredibly utilitarian and this is, and it, then that would make sense that it's her only shirt. Cause you're telling me that's her only fucking shirt. Right. It's like a crop top, a really like fancy looking crop top. I'd like, and, and, Satin pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who has that as like their only wardrobe, essentially? It should be like jeans or like, you know, just like cotton pants and like a plain t shirt. Comfy cotton pants that do well in a hot and humid climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it's just the only shirt she has with her. That's true. Yeah, yeah. She didn't pack. She right. stowed away. She, in cargo. she doesn't have luggage. Okay, and that's <laughs> another thing. Like she traveled for. She flew from Jamaica to California, and without a hair out of place, and her makeup like that perfect, and like she doesn't have her lipstick or anything, right? Well, that's just hall. That's Hollywood magic, right? Like but that's you know like, it's like that's people waking up in the morning after sleeping all night in hot sex and still having perfect makeup yeah, that, right, that's right. just still or people taking yeah. showers and walking out and their hair and makeup are perfect and lipstick right i mean that yeah. that's just hollywood still, that's I'm, just I, the I way call people out on that shit all 
time because oh i, I do too but i mean like it frustrated the heck out of me because i'm just like she she was hiding in like a plane cargo you know hold and she like it's bad enough like trying to figure out how she did this and snuck through customs or whatever but yeah she's just like she looks like too good and what she's wearing she looks like she just walked out of like the salon those pants would be so wrinkled yeah and torn i mean like yeah, no, it's 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 really, I, and I like these two episodes. I like What's My Line. I think they're fun. I think they're zippy, and I actually have a lot of positive to say. But Kendra, as a character herself, is so fucking problematic to me. So, like, I, yeah. Actually, do you know what? I just, I, I looked up uh, Becoming Part 1 because I wanted to see exact. I wanted to actually see if Kendra changed her outfit and, and like out of the Buffy shirt. And I just looked at what she's wearing. They should have, what Kendra is wearing in Becoming Part 1, and I will post a screen cap of it. They should have had her in in this episode because she is basically okay. dressed like Buffy from The Wish. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, I mean, I mean that makes so much more sense because especially if she's like you know oh, never interacts with people and can't talk to boys, but she's wearing something that you know it's not slut shaming here, but it's very sexual in terms of the crop top and 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 the makeup and everything else. She would be like what you would consider like a convent school girl look, you know, which was very. Muted. In becoming part one, she is wearing like this you know kind of camo green tank top. Yep. And her hair's pulled back. It's corn road, but pulled back in a high ponytail. She's wearing brown, you know, pants of, you know, some... I'm not good at identifying Yeah, no, it's pants, utilitarian. It's very utilitarian. Sure. It is exactly how Kendra should be dressing. And even her makeup is understated from uh, what it was in this episode. I wonder if they got a lot of heat from the way she was dressed in the first episode. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I also made a note just comparison because later on in the episode Buffy looks like so schleppy she's wearing like the oversized shirt and she's like so rumpled and messy and it's like whereas again like Kendra's still like bandbox and maybe she's supposed to be like Slayer Girl Magic or something but it's like it's really weird because Buffy actually looks really crappy compared to uh, Kendra later. Well Buffy's all scared and, and you know puts on her kind of clothes that aren't going to stand out so she can hide from Taraka David did you have any thoughts on Kendra I haven't heard your voice in a while not really. What are okay. my thoughts on Kendra? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm probably not as up on the fashion issues as you guys, so I don't have a lot to say about that. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, we usually talk about fashion like, oh, that was cute, oh, that was so 90s, and this way we're talking about... This was, like, very, very important. Costuming as, like, yeah. as... How it's problematic, Yeah. As problematic and really, yeah. Anyway, so sorry, David, I interrupted you again. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Kendra, she's, um, I mean, I just kind of had the thought that she's really, like, everything about her is really plot-driven. I would agree with that, yeah. I would yeah, agree with that, not, too. She's, she's there to serve a purpose, and we don't really get character from her. Right, all her character traits are in service of a white woman, a white girl. Yeah. Like, it's it's the whole, like, let me learn something special yes. from the, like... Yes. Yeah, it's 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 called in criticism, literary and movie criticism, the magical Negro. Like... Um, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't deny that, but I think I, there's also the element here that she's incredibly sheltered. Mm-hmm. So she really, I mean, she needs to learn from Buffy. And, and again, that's a plot-driven point. 
So, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if she wasn't a person of color, if somehow they wrote this as her not being a person of color, I think some of that would still obtain just, be, just because that's what her character is there to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. I, and I think Bianca Lawson is, I made a couple notes about Kendra's kind of deadpan in her humor, and it's mm-hmm. like those one or two moments, and I think it's so overshadowed by that yeah. terrible accent. I mean, like when she's just like, points. "No wonder you died." Yeah, like yeah, she's really snarky, and she's she great. Good lines, and 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 I and her 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 interactions with Giles are delightful. <laughs> they really oh, are. Yeah, it's adorable. They're, she obviously has no problem talking to adult men. It's just boys. Yeah, because yes. she's oh, all over talking to Willie and beating the shit out of him, like, which is odd to me that she can talk to adult men with no problem. Obviously, not Giles; he's a watcher. That's an automatic, but has a problem with Xander. Let's face it; we we have problems with Xander all the time. Yeah. You know so. these these two episodes. I have almost no. Wow, Xander, you're the worst. I have a couple. Yeah, I mean, he's super mean to Cordy. But that's sort of how they do to each other. Yeah, I, but... I, I have e- even passed that. Um, okay. But we, we'll, we'll get, get to we'll our get Xander to is the worst. Um, yeah. uh, just, uh, my, God, my God, we're still in the opening scene and we're already 40 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I, think it's, I think it was an important conversation to have about the representation of Kendra, what she's there for. So then we can now yeah. go through the episode but, and yeah. really... Yeah. Especially since she is honestly the first major like character of color on the show, you know, all the way through. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And I, I think the problematicness. Now we can get to some of the other fun or good stuff or other stuff we found in the episode. So, yeah. two bits of trivia: one, Kendra does not know her last name, but it is in fact Young. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, when. Buffy makes the comment back off Pink Ranger. That is a reference to yes. her stunt double, Sophie Crawford, who was also the stunt double for the Pink Ranger on Power Rangers. Oh, that's cool. I, I just thought it was a cultural, like, oh, Power Rangers were big in the 90s. So, wow. Yay. Didn't even need to look that up. I, I just knew that off the top of my head. I did too, actually. I, I actually, <laughs> I I actually too. knew yeah. that one. Well, I, I, was, yeah. I was, not only am I a huge Buffy fan, but I'm a huge Power Rangers fan. So <laughs> we get the scene of Spike with Angel and Willie, and um, I'm really confused as to why Spike didn't just kill Willie because <laughs> they needed him in future. Uh, and I think Willie is sort of half protected because he does own the bar and is like a contact that people use all the time. I think it's like fairly, I think we've established this and it will be established more that, you know, why would you kill the propriety of the demon bar when a lot of people and a lot of information flow through? Even yeah. Spike with his do it now I want to do it <laughs> sort of understands that. Fair enough. I yeah. think Willie, Willie still has his uses generally and I think Spike's not pissed off enough to just kill him at that point. Yeah. I am. Now later in the episode yeah. <laughs> and also, I was going to say, like, also the whole like, noir feel to that thing is like you always need the, the bar and the guy, the, the, the information guy. So yeah. Willie has mm-hmm. to live just to continue that trope. Too. I am yeah. so interested yeah. in Willie's backstory because obviously Willie is not a native of a Sunnydale based off this accent. 
No. And really. the thing is, we do find out later that Willie is actually human. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, how did he become this, like, demon information snitch power broker? Like, why did he settle on the Hellmouth? Like, what is his backstory? Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those cases that the writers are like, we're not going to deal with the backstory. But it's really great to speculate about. I, I mean, how he became having that position in Sunnydale, he's the kind of guy who sees an opportunity and goes for it. That's how simple it is for that. How how he wound up in Sunnydale, that I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe he had experience with the demon underworld in New York. I mean, right. I'm not pointing this out. This isn't a flaw to me. This is just like, for me, this is an opportunity. Yeah, like, for sure. Seriously, yeah. comics, books... Do Willie's story like I would fucking read, or even fanfic writers. Somebody write Willie's. See that that's yeah. that's the problem I have with fanfic. Sometimes is it's all related to the shipping, and so like I would love to just read. It's like the Mister Gordo stuff that had nothing to do with we talked about in the last episode, right? Like those were just really great little stories that had nothing to do with that. That really fleshed out the world and like yeah, a whole story about Willie. I, w- I want more gen fanfic. Not that I yeah. don't love my shipping, but it's right. just, it would be so interesting for creative people to fill this stuff in. And some do. There are some, there are some people that with really long series that really do. Yes, it's a story that's concentrated in the ship, but everybody gets a part in it and it feels more like a continuation of the world and not just a story about pretty people fucking. Of the comic book about what Willie's up to. I think that'd be really interesting. That would be great. I suspect yeah. he moved to LA and just found another demon bar. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's, honestly. That's what he would do. Yeah. Oh, he would have been great in the After the Fall. Yeah. No, he really would have. Series with Angel. Like, what did he do after the Hellmouth collapsed? He moved to LA. Yeah. Like, it's super close and there's lots of demon culture. Um, missed opportunity. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that was on... Buffy that they kind of did their own versions of on Angel and Willie is very yeah. much kind of a prototypical version of Lauren except Lauren is so much more fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yes. Lauren is everything. Um and Willie's also a creep because he asked two 16-year-old girls to do nude pictures. So Oh, well, right. uh, yeah. I think that was on purpose so we know he's a creep and that we shouldn't trust him to do things, you know, like it's setting up that he's going to betray and he's not really a good guy. Yeah, like we really, like we really needed that. <laughs> yeah, but I think it adds to it. Okay, so yeah. Xander and Cordelia uh, with yes. with uh, Worm Guy, and holy shit, that effect is so nineties. That creeped the fuck out of me. And oh, it's, it's it's the CGI is super super mm-hmm. bad, but like I still think he's a really effective. Yeah, my skin was crawling. I I don't like that kind of stuff to begin with. So the the ick factor, even after twenty years and probably you know much better CGI now, you can make it more look more realistic. It still grossed me out. So. But Marty Noxon points out that no worms were harmed. I'm probably going to gross people out more when I ask this. How does Worm Guy kill people? Oh, good question. I don't know. Um, I don't. Never thought about that. He, like, surrounds them and it, like, smothers them in bugginess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I'm thinking, like, he dematerializes or whatever. He, he breaks himself apart into bugs and, like, just, like, crawls into her mouth. And, you know, your, the victim's, like, mouth and nose and basically, yeah, like, strangles them, smothers them, whatever. So, yeah, suffocates. That, that was what I was assuming. That's what I've assumed all these years. 
Still, I mean, like, the whole concept of bug guy or worm guy is cool, but I think actually when you go into, like, the thought processes of how he works, it starts to fall right. apart pretty quickly. It always starts to fall apart, yeah. yeah. But let's talk about Cordy and Xander. Zandelia, right yeah, Zandelia finally happens after, like, Yay. basically And like I them. said in the previous episode, their dialogue is very much a purposeful homage to 30 slapstick uh, oh, this is, oh, totally. Like and that music cue is perfect. Yes. Oh, the music cue is brilliant. I have to say, I, I think they overdo the screwball comedy homage. Like, the, the, the antagonism is much stronger. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and That's why it's so, an homage. I mean, I can see why there, there would be reasons why they would do that. But... But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yes, it's, it's, it's an homage. It is, yeah, I mean, it's basically clearly based on yeah. The, yeah. the 30 screwball comedies. There's yeah, because no... it just screams like Catherine Hepburn and Spencer yeah. Tracy to me. Like, Yeah, it's more like a bringing a baby, yeah, with the Yeah, yeah bringing yeah. a baby is, is exactly what I'm thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like the reason why they played it up is because it was so obvious that's what they were going for. It's like, well, we need to... Uh, loop it back around to funny again. Oh, yeah. So they just go oh, yeah. completely over the top. Th- their getting together is not in any way, shape, or form romantic. I think they have a lot of romance and they grow into really liking each other. But at this mm-hmm. point, I hate you. It's a, it's a hate fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're at, I like, mean, they're not actually fucking. They're kissing, well, but it's hate, like... Hate kiss. Yeah. Yeah. And we go from yeah. one couple to another because we have Oz and Willow actually Yay! talking to each other. Yay! I know. Yeah. Let's give points to Buffy for being uh, like a solid wing woman for Willow. Oh, for sure. She's yeah. like, that guy's looking at you. And Willow's like, oh, no, no, no. He's just some commuter nerd solidarity. And Buffy's like, even in her face, she's just like, no, that's not yep. what's happening yeah. here. He is like so into you, honey. <laughs> Buffy is that ship's cheerleader all the time. Oh, yeah. As am I, because again, like seriously, every time they are on screen together in these two episodes, I'm fucking smiling. Like just like a huge, gr- even talking about it right now, I'm grinning. I know, I know. Because they're so, so cute. Great. And his hair is brown now. Your hair is brown now. And Oz's hair is going to change to every color of the rainbow. And I love yeah. that. I do yes. too. And I remember reading back at the day that, that, Seth was talking about it because Seth was a really big Bowie fan. So Seth said that when he could, he would like change his hair color anyway. So this was actually part of like, I think them pulling Seth out into and mixing him with Oz in a good way. Well, and it, and it works because Seth had other projects. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of it was. On hiatuses. And a lot of it was like, this character's, it's okay if we change this character's hair color all the time because he was doing the Austin Powers movies. Right. Right. Where he had multiple yeah. colors of hair, so... But he's a I'm musician. Just, he's, like, a cool dude musician. Of course he's going to yeah. change his right. hair. Yeah. I'm just bummed they never went with uh, the thing Todd Rundgren did. Apparently Todd was, like, in the early 70s, early to mid-70s, he was, like, changing his hair color all the time. And then at some point he just, like, had all the colors at <laughs> once. <laughs> if you look at the album Todd, you can see just, like, this, like, He's got like eight different color hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the, the early precursor to, to mermaid hair and everything that's kind of going yeah. on now. So um, yeah. that's really cool. I did not know that. Yeah. About nice. Yeah. We get the third assassin, Patrice, who 
Mm-hmm. I, I get kind of get lost in the end fight. Does Patrice die? Or does she just... Patrice gets knocked into a box or something and gets knocked out. I don't think she okay, dies. Okay, because the thing is, the actress who plays Patrice turns up on Angel. Yes. Hmm. Uh, she, she turns up in the episode where Faith gets... She's in prison and Faith gets attacked with the bringer's knife. And she's called hmm. by a different... Oh. She's called by a different name. But considering the character is played by the same actress and like she says they're paying me a lot of money i'm just like that okay that's fucking patrice they're the same character mm-hmm. i love that i don't think the writers or the casting directors had any inkling of that but it makes oh, probably sense. not but yeah. this is just how my brain works and oh yeah, yeah. And, and i put like an odd little note about her that i just i got like a terminator 2 vibe from her yeah just, yeah like with all the, uh, like yeah. Just like they were, that was kind of a little nod, and I just looked it up, and Terminator 2 was actually 91, so that would make oh, sense. Oh, I saw Terminator 2 at a drive in my senior year in high school, oh. so yeah. No, my junior yeah, I, year in high school, so. I, I knew I saw it in the 90s, but I couldn't actually remember when I saw it, so yeah. yeah. It's 91, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I mean, I made, I made a note of noting whether she died or not, because as we've discussed, the Order of Taraka basically takes demons, vampires, worm people, and the forces of darkness. And- and whatever. But Patrice seems to actually be a yes. human. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of guns and knives. And so I was like, are they going to kill her? Are they going to straight up kill a human person? Because that's they, not typically they do on Buffy. Yeah. And so so I did note that they do not obviously they kill They are her. so inconsistent. She, she, could have, she could have died. She gets like knocked into something that falls on her and She's out of commission. Yeah. Uh, whether or not that kills her is completely... Yeah, unfair. they're so inconsistent with the D-Slayers kill humans thing. Uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. It only becomes an issue when it's an issue. Uh, and, yeah. and poor Jonathan. Oh, I yes. love that. Oh, Jonathan! I forgot I, I know. when I saw Jonathan. <laughs> yes. So in the credits, I, I, I just happened to watch through the credits just because it was on and I, I didn't hit the remote yet. It credits him as Hostage Kid. Oh, right. So before he had a name. He does not have a name yet. I don't think he has a name until Go Fish, probably. I, you're, I think you're right. But yeah, he's he's billed as Hostage Kid. Danny Strong. And we have Oz getting shot protecting Willow. And, just, oh, and yes. I love he's just like, I'm shot, you know, it's odd. And painful. It hurts. <laughs> like, it hurts. It's painful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if we didn't already get Oz's character, that really establishes that, that, that right character. It's like, huh? I've been shot. Yeah. Yep. No, that 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 is Oz. Yeah, over. it's that the is... understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he finds out about vampires, that explains a lot. When he finds out he's a werewolf, it's huh? Yeah. It's yeah. That's Oz. Oz <laughs> is always very consistently written. Yes. Yeah. Getting into. The next scene when they're bandaging up Buffy and then Xander and Cordelia come in. This is where I have my, here is my problem with Xander. Okay, so. Angel is our friend, except I don't like him. That's actually not it. I love that line. No, I I just love the line. That's a fantastic line. Yeah, it's a great line. Uh, What I have a problem with is I know, like, they were trying to pretend like that whole kiss thing did not happen. And it was just like this weird Mm. fluke, but. Xander was kissing Cordelia like five seconds ago, and then he's hitting on Kendra. I don't see him yeah. hitting on Kendra. When does he hit on Kendra? He's like, so you're a slayer. I like that in a woman. 
He has the one line, but other than that, I think he just like walks yeah. away. I don't. Uh. I for once, I'm gonna defend Xander because he's like, "Hey, how are you? You're a thing. I'm a thing." And he walks away, and he's like, "Huh." Like I, I don't see him full on yeah. hitting on her. I think he was kind of leaning in to start hitting on Kendra, but then he got that extremely awkward, like whatever word diarrhea of Kendra not knowing what to do, and then he's Wait, which I, which I credit Xander actually read a situation and stopped when it looked like a woman was uncomfortable. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, st- like it's not the worst Xander is ever going to be. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think the whole you're a slayer. I like that in a woman. That's just like that's just standard Xander dialogue. Yeah, still. It's 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 a bit of a gray area, but yeah, I, you could okay. read it either way. Maybe I, it's just I, that I don't like him, and it's in this. Okay. And it's in this scene that we get the fact that apparently the writers think that the new moon and the full moon are the same fucking thing. Same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That drove me crazy. I'm like, what? Full moon, full moon? Okay. Wait, it's the new moon. What? I, I, I totally <laughs> didn't notice it. Gonna admit it. It's like, yeah. they are the complete opposites. <laughs> And actually, for that kind of ritual, it would be a new wound would make more sense because you want the power to actually, like, get better and stronger to help her get better and stronger. Although, I guess mm-hmm. you could go with the, the full moon because you're at full strength and you want the full, full strength to heal her. And sorry, I'm getting into sympathetic magic and I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, this the scene where Buffy says after this, I'm thinking, like, a uh, teen movie. Just the one thing about that is she was saying Ringwald, and it took me a while to. Yeah, I thought catch she was that. like Ringworld. Is she making like a exactly? Joke? I was <laughs> exactly. It sounded like Ringworld, and I'm like, there are no Ringworld movies. <laughs> but there are Ringwald movies. But since we brought up that scene, hey, Buffy's on the side of pineapple on pizza. I am yes. also on the side of pineapple on pizza. I'm Canadian. I have to be. I'm ambivalent. I like it because I'm weird and I don't care. <laughs> Back to the scene before it with uh, Spike, Drusilla, yeah. and Angel because this is an important yes. scene. This is like the first time that we've seen the three of them together. Um, okay, so do you know how like, was it last episode or is it, we were talking about like, I don't usually find David Boreanaz hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this goes along with this again because like, I think this is actually this set of episodes through the end of the season, our peak David Morgan's yeah. hotness. Because he hasn't gotten, again, just a personal preference. No judgment on someone's actual body type. He's He hasn't gotten bulky. Yeah. yeah. He hasn't gotten mm-hmm. super bulky. He's still kind of pretty. He's still kind of pretty. He's got that, like, lean sort of... He's got his shirt off, but it's not like... Yeah, um, so I'm going to... I'm going to say I enjoy David Boreanaz with the shirt off. <laughs> I can see Drusilla holding, having some holy water around for torturing purposes. Mm-hmm. Why she has a box ornately labeled holy water, though, that <laughs> I just don't get. Because she's Drusilla, and she's one of those like weird gothy girls that like to collect weird like, yep. pretty boxes. See, I wasn't thinking for torture purposes. I immediately went, that's uh, Spike and Drew's sex toy box. Me too. Thank you. Oh, for <laughs> sure. It's like, yeah, this is her kinky toy box and whatever. But going back to David Boreanaz for just a minute, I had the same reaction, Andy. I mean, I don't. He normally doesn't do much for me either. But I also part of me was like, so this is the point where it's actually contractually obligated that we have to have a, 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 a uh, angel has his shirt off kind of moment because it didn't seem like he needed to have the shirt open initially, but he does. It's not like she she unbuttons it later, etc. He's like 
you know, the shirt's open the whole time. So I don't know. It just like felt like a little bit of gratuitous, like, you know, here, have some eye candy, ladies. So good. We've been having gratuitous images of women on whatever for years yeah. and years and years. I'm, right. oh, all I'm not about, complaining. I'm all. all about objectifying. Yeah. So I felt that was like the, the Chris Hemsworth and now Thor gets to take his shirt off. Yay. Yep. <laughs> just off of uh, yep. uh, fan service. I have a nitpick. Okay. Okay. There's no way Drusilla's mother would be eating pomegranates. Okay. Not during that time period. Uh, okay. Pomegranates didn't come to Western Europe until the 20th century. You're so great. I love you. <laughs> I, 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 I have an answer for that. Okay. Drusilla's crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, thing is, the thing is, Drusilla is crazy, but during that time, she's incredibly lucid in what she's saying. Like, I mean, I get the feeling mm-hmm. that actually Drusilla kind of puts on the crazy sometimes i do too i think if i think it's a half mm-hmm. and a half it's like some of it is persona some of it is actual just so much trauma that she snapped but some of it i think Jusil is like yeah it's my little thing that yeah, I, do. I mean she is very focused on torturing angel and she's not just trying to torture him physically she is trying to torture him psychologically by being it's like this was my family this is she's humanizing them and she's like and then you fucking mm. killed them well, maybe she's just like making shit up to like make him feel even worse about the pomegranates. But you're right. That, I but mean, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, like it, it, mm-hmm. it, because I'm a horrible nitpicker, and yeah, you know, I, I want to be right about everything. But when she said that mm-hmm. line, I was just like, "Are pomegranates even?" You know, like, in? and you and looked and it up. No, that's fabulous. Up, and then I was just like, "Huh." I mean, it's like it's not like they were completely unknown, but they were. Like I mean, I mean, I it, I guess you could probably fan wank it, and it's, her family was incredibly well to do because I mean they did seem to be fairly well to do, and they knew somebody in like the Silk Road trade. And yeah. I'm actually not gonna fault a writer for not knowing that pomegranates were not in England during a certain yeah. Time. Well, I, now I I love it when you think about it and go nope. Honestly, like mm-hmm. as a writer, I have to say it's. But I mean, I'm also not writing on a deadline. But when yeah, I'm true. when I'm writing, yeah. if I'm making a reference to something like that, I will fucking look it up. So I know. Oh my god! I, I mean, you know me in like short stories and like my research, and I'll I'll look up like any little fact to make sure I'm right, and like not anachronistic in anything. So yeah, this is probably why I'm not a fiction writer because I would become obsessed with those little things that I'd actually get very little writing. Oh, in. I fall into wiki which holes. What happens when I write academic? I fall papers. into wiki holes all the time. It's really awful. So this. Uh, scene uh, we've already talked about a little bit with the pineapple pizza and the Molly Ringwald movies, but we get right. and a, a bit of Sunnydale world building with uh, there's 43 churches in Sunnydale, which yep. explains yes. why Buffy never runs out of graveyards to patrol in. Okay, so it's really interesting listening to the commentary. We all know that that's the same lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so much, what I didn't know is, and they redressed it. It was a parking lot next to their, and they didn't film on sound stages or at a studio. They had like a whole bunch of warehouses, yeah. but that they actually wheeled out patches of grass with the mausoleum stuck on them because they didn't have enough grass back there. <laughs> so they all just had these portable things that could be moved in whatever position they needed it to, to make look like a different yeah. section of the, of the greater. I just thought that was really clever production design on a show that had like no budget and didn't get a lot of studio help and shot shot in a warehouse of course you always see the damn alpert mausoleum which since the graveyards always use 
look different. I always ex- I always think of it as, oh, maybe that's one of the founding families of Sunnydale, and there's just a billion people in town named that, and they've got a bunch of mausoleums around. <laughs> I mean, it's the same mausoleum they used to take them underground in the very first episodes. Yeah. But I was wondering, okay, these 43 churches in Sunnydale, are they all churches, or is that just being used as a blanket statement for any sort of holy building or are there even more like there are 43 churches for like catholic and catholic light protestant type things and there's like temples and mosques and shit like that okay what i think they mean by churches are a blanket and what i've always taken that line to be is like this is a scary place with all these supernatural things so the reason we have so many churches is because people sometimes really take comfort in that Mm -hmm. Like, because obviously people in Sunnydale ignore a lot of stuff, but I think there's an underlying thing where they know, like, they know that they live in this, like, really weirdo town where shit happens. And so a lot more people go to church. So there's a lot more churches. Yeah. So that's what I always do. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe this is because I've been, uh, I I just saw it. So I've been, like, Stephen Kinging it up a little bit (laughs) now. But uh, Sunnydale is very much kind of dairy from, like, the the book it where it is like it is and the way everybody acts where it's like they know something's wrong they're just going to you know consciously ignore it no i i i've had that same thought before but it doesn't mean that the unconscious or that the spiritual doesn't so yeah i can understand the 43 churches and also i mean also you got to think how much these churches are booked considering i mean they must be doing we see it in um uh, once more with feeling, there were a lot of people questioning. It's like, why are they having a funeral at night? And of course, in my head, I'm like, why aren't they having funerals at night? Because they've got to be knee deep in corpses. Right. And I, and I mean, I mean, obviously, if you look at Sunnydale's fictional, but if you look at like Santa Barbara and things and things along. So the places that were not <laughs> the places where a lot of um, Mexican-American immigrants and Spanish, when the Spain, the Spanish came over here and freaking decimated our population and killed all our people and our indigenous people, you had all these mission-style churches. So Sunnydale probably has a lot of that kind of architecture within yeah. it, too. And a lot of, like, these really old... Like, we... Uh, New Mexico has the oldest mission church on yeah. record. It's, like, the oldest church in the United States. Mm. And it's it's that same kind of style you're going to see in the the episode with the 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 penis got diseases from a shumash tribe (laughs) yeah uh pangs sorry that was a tangent that's okay (laughs) uh i mean 43 churches i mean also depending on the size of sunnydale it might not actually be that excessive i mean my town is smaller than sunnydale i think we already established that in a previous episode that i looked up the population of my city and uh because i think sunnydale is supposed to be santa barbara and my city my or my town has like 10 churches so and we're really small and i was gonna say if you go up to like new england and you know some of like these old like towns especially like western mass or whatever you can drive and there'll be like a church on every corner Mm -hmm. so it's not completely unknown especially like an older build you know communities that are built on older communities as compared to something you know new and shiny yeah okay santa barbara has ninety thousand, ninety-one thousand people yeah i I, so here's the thing about what the writers do with sunnydale yes it's sort of supposed to be santa barbara but they also sort of want it to be 
They call it a one-horse town. No, they call it a one-Starbucks town. One-Starbucks town. Like, they make fun of the size, that the bronze is the only place to go. Like, they want to treat it like a town and not a city, and Santa Barbara's a city. Yeah. What is the population of Sunnydale? It's on our... uh, Oh, is it on the sign? Yeah. Yeah. It is on our website, actually. Uh, That that is... You're right, it is. (laughs) That is accurate, because I actually took that from... I mean, obviously, I've crossed out the numbers and counted it down because I think I'm funny. But uh, the original number that <laughs> the original number is on that's on there. That's accurate to the size. Oh, it's 38 yeah. around 38,000. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's so it's it's a deal small. It's like a third the size of Santa Barbara. I am again, yeah, okay. So based off that, um my hometown has about 10,000 less than what Sunnydale supposedly has. So, eh, I guess Sunnydale has probably twice as many churches as it should have, but but also, I mean, we don't know about the sizes of these churches. I mean, they don't have to be gigantic churches. They could just be like this one cute little one room like thing. Uh, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I wonder how the Unitarians deal with all this shit. And <laughs> sorry, that was just me being Unitarian going, huh. I wonder if they're like, well, we really accept all kinds of faith. So I guess your <laughs> demonic worshippers are welcome here as long as you're not hurting anybody. <laughs> We're okay with uh, Yeah, worship. well, unfortunately, unfortunately, they tend to hurt people. <laughs> I know, because we'd be like, uh, well, I guess you're kind of hurting people, so I'm going to ask you to maybe not come back until you can rethink that <laughs> and really think of us all as interconnected. So maybe there aren't any Unitarians in Sunnydale because they've all been eaten. <laughs> there you go. That's true. I would get eaten really, really fast. I'm, first of all, out of shape. And I'm like, I don't know. What's your story, vampire? Let's really talk this out before you kill me. I'd be I get the I'd feeling I would be Jonathan. I would live, but I would not be happy. <laughs> I probably would. I mean, I, I, I'm like the least athletic person in the world, so I'd probably get eaten unless there was like some, you know, Wiccan Jewish weird thing that could keep them away but well i mean there's definitely a a, a wiccan jewish thing in sunnydale i mean look at willow well, there's one <laughs> <laughs> there's one <laughs> willow's magic has nothing to do with the practice of wicca oh, oh yeah. i know that don't call her a thing that's not nice <laughs> anyway so there's 43 churches yes, yes. What happens after that? Uh, well, I, I have to be honest. Like, my notes on this episode kind of start to drift off. Probably because I was- Mine do, too, because that, that fight while well, Will choreographed is just sort of... I love that Cordy stomps all over the guy and gets, like, super upset. I'm talking about the fight scene. This episode, again, I said this last time, it's zippy. It's a lot of fun. Marty gets everybody's voices down, especially for her first try. And it's light, but with just a little bit of substance. So it's just really, it's really fun. And that final, that final fight scene is interesting. You can totally see when the spike, the spike stunt double is wearing a terrible wig. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. You can be like, oh, that is a man in a wig. Everything just does kind of fall apart, though, when you're getting towards It the does end. a little bit. I, I do love that Buffy takes the, what is that thing called? The thing that holds the incense. Sensor. Yeah. A sensor. 
Because again, as I've said many times, Buffy is really great at scanning an environment mm-hmm. and finding the things in there that are going to work. Yeah, I, the one thing that I, the one note that I made was just that when Spike goes into the organ, I mean, it looks, I mean, it is made of plywood, but it looks like it's made of plywood. Yeah. Suddenly, like, yeah. they had, like, a dollar ninety-eight left at the end of this episode to, like, build <laughs> an organ that looks like it's just, you know, cardboard, plywood, balsa wood, whatever. Yeah. It's just going to fall apart at first look. So it looks like really He stupid. looks like he accidentally crashed into the backdrop of a play. Like, and I mean, not a good play, yeah. like a <laughs> like a high school, like, production of Rent or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's awful. It's just, like, so cheap looking. And I was watching it on my laptop on, like, not even, like, high def or, like, good picture because it was, it's not, like, from the DVDs. So it was, like, streaming. So it was, like, really, really low res. And, like, I could see how crappy this thing looked. I just don't notice things like that. I'm just sort of like, oh, this story. Things are happening. People are punching and kicking. People are having an emotional moment. It's like, I just... I just forgive all that shit so easily. I want to know, Buffy, why the fuck aren't you killing Drusilla? Yeah. 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 I want to know why, like, because... Like, after they get, you know, thrown into the organ and the organ falls on them, why don't they go in there and stake them? Because they have a contract? <laughs> no, well, seriously, this is, this is like, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, that's it, because they want yeah. them to come back. But, I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah, it's not even like a good villain out for them, you know, where they, okay, we're leaving them for dead, or, oh, we can't find them, or whatever. Yeah, they're just like, why don't you go after them? They did think they were dead. They did think they were dead because they bring it they up. They did. They're vampires. And Spike was supposed to yeah. be dead. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask if anybody knows because I don't. When did Joss decide that he was bringing Spike back? Actually, was five it like- seconds after they finished filming School Hard. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, because she carries him out and tells him everything's going to be fine. But yeah. So by the time this was filmed, they already knew that Spike was coming back. Was oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I want to know, like, why Buffy doesn't kill Drusilla because it's like they free Angel and it's like you could have easily staked Drusilla, like, before Spike got to her. This is something I've been wondering for a while. It's like, we spend a lot of time with the Slayers and the Vampires and they, like, do a lot of kicking and punching. They never seem to stake any of the major, major vampires. They don't. They, they just, like, like, why don't you just stake them instead of kicking and punching and everything? Just, just stake them. We do them. have to have a celebration, guys, because it's the first time Willow killed a vampire. I know! And it's the first time Giles kills one on screen. Yes. Right. Like, I, obviously he's killed vampires, he had watchers training, but this is the first time we see my beloved Rupert do a dust a vampire on screen. So I do, just going back to the nit- nitpicking, because that's apparently what we do, Spike gets injured enough to end up in a wheelchair, but Drusilla's fucking fine. Spike fell on Drew. Yeah, well, I think we're supposed to assume that this ritual made her so, like, super powerful that she just can, like, brush it off. I mean, I actually was okay with that, because yeah. it's like, Spike is Spike, but Drew suddenly had, like, this superpower. She got the super soldier serum of vampire treatment. Well, and what what I think I see the writers kind of doing is reversing their roles. Okay. Yes. Like, that's, so. like, Drusilla's been kind of helpless, and Spike's been taking all this care of her, and then this time, it's going to be see how the, that dynamic affects their particular roles and how they relate to each other. Okay. And we're going to see it's going to be a really big deal, yes, because Angelus is going to show up. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting that we, we get this reversal right at, not long after that scene where 
angel goad Spike into almost mm-hmm. killing him mm-hmm. by saying, well, you know, I know when Drew's not satisfied. Yeah. And and that's that's sort of the first scene where we see that Drew is maybe not as devoted to Spike as Spike is to Drew. Which Truth. they do get yeah. into heavily later on in the series, especially well, when they yes. go over yeah. on yeah. Angel that Drusilla is right. actually... Spike is always kind of just oh, a yeah. plaything for Drusilla, but she's all about mm. Angelus. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the first time we see that, and then that goes directly into the reversal of roles with Spike and Drew, where she's now the stronger yeah. one. And then, and then, of course, Angel will turn back into Angelus, and that will develop much more strongly, but this is an early indication of this. Yeah, I think it was very good foreshadowing. I think Drew loves Spike. They've been together for freaking ever. But I think she cheats. I th- Drusilla cheats a lot. But I would actually guess, based on what we've seen from Spike, I would guess that Spike, one, lost his virginity to Drusilla. And also, two, yep. yeah. was faithful to her for like that hundred years. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I do. I think so, too. I think Drusilla is very, very, very hot for Angel or, or Angelus at least. And mm-hmm. it's even though it's I mean, it's like a really twisted because it's the whole torturer, you know, victim thing. And maybe Stockholm Syndrome, but she's got a big thing for him. And I and I actually I love that scene, like the torture scene. I just think that like, again, like character development, everybody's voices and like how it's going to set up. I just think it's like really, really good and kind of weirdly hot. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I think Drew and Drew and Spike have a very healthy and very playful sex life. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. Sure. Um, Drusilla is not good with safe words, oh, but no. what do you expect? She's a vampire. <laughs> no. She's a fucking vampire. So they don't tend to be like, what's your safe word? Yeah. Is it Miss Edith? <laughs> uh, but... That's what I assumed it was, but... I think the only rule is they don't have stakes in the bed because you remember Spike freaked the fuck out when Harmony had the stake in their bed. <laughs> right, for sure, mm. but... Um... Maybe her safe word is pomegranates. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, Janet. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. I, I do like, in the in this scene there, not with Spike and Drew, but like, I like sort of the team up of the two Slayers and how they sort of tag team back and forth. Logan wanted us who couldn't be here again today. Logan was very clear that she wanted us to mention, call out the two Slayers, no waiting line. Yes. So, and that's a favorite line of mine too, but she definitely. It is um, a good line. It's a great line. It's a great line, but it makes me giggle because I am positive that back in the day, I read a threesome fanfic, and I think I don't think it, I don't think it was Kendra and Buffy. I think it was Faith and Buffy. I think it was Faith, Buffy, Spike, and I think it was called Two Slayers. No way! It is. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm all, I'm pretty sure I read them because <laughs> it sounds or one like it that had. Uh, I'm I'm almost positive that I've read some iteration of that with the same title. So <laughs> there's probably several of them. Yes, it's like we were meant to meet. <laughs> soulmates you're like the slayer to my other slayer (laughs) (laughs) anyway this is just me like waxing poetic about my co-host but yeah i like the fight but yeah it just it gets a little messy in there i like the way buffy improvs like because she does able to scan her environment quickly and make use of which i think is the whole point with kendra not being able to sort of do those same things because she's been so regimented regimented 
and mm-hmm. Buffy being able to pick up those sort of cues from the environment. So, you know, it's, I, I, I love it when Buffy improvises weapons. It's like one of my favorite things in the whole in the show. Though we get into Kendra's uh, super special tracking powers again, because Willie took yeah. Buffy to the church and he didn't tell her where it was. And Kendra went and got Giles right. and shit. And we were still able to find where they were going. So, oh. Right. I should just not question this kind of stuff. Kendra's just really, really good at the Slayer tracking. Right. I think David was right. Kendra is less of a character in Marvel Plot Device, which is a big disservice to, like, one of the only major characters that is a person of color. Yes. I mean, even if she wasn't a person of color, it would still be shitty, but it's, like, doubly shitty because of the fact that representation. It is. and, And the writers... It's it's many different kinds of shitty. This was the 90s, but at the same time, it's still... I think it bothered me a little bit then, too, you know? Mm-hmm. And people started pointing it out pretty quickly. I know there are multiple essays from the Slayage Journal and other Buffy academic writing that really talk about Kendra. Um, in fact, one of them's on my bookshelf, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, I mean, like, it's really kind of messy that Kendra dies, but then Faith, in the next season, they decide they like Eliza Dushku too much to kill her off, even though they really could have killed her off in Graduation Day Part yeah. 2. Well, I mean, I think mm-hmm. Bianca Lawson was a much more in-demand actor. That's true. So there could still, have been a lot more I scheduling mean, contracts, but... Again, like I said last episode, they didn't have to kill her. She could have died. Faith could have been called. They could have brought her back in guest shots and had her been part of that final battle, which the whole point of that final battle is all the women, all the girls rising up and showing their power. Yeah. Right. And right. especially somebody who had been treated so shabbily and so, like, you know, sheltered, et cetera, early on. That would have been a really big statement. It would have been beautiful. It would have been such a great piece of agency. And, yeah. But, like, they don't have that. Obviously, they didn't have the seventh season planned in season two. They they didn't. They do have the end of season two planned in this. And even if you look at becoming part one, Kendra is just a plot device. She comes in to say there's yeah. a dark power rising. And here is the sword. A very dark power. Yeah, and here is the sword that you need to, like, take the thing out. And then she dies. Yeah. And that's basically Kendra's entire role in that episode. So Kendra is never treated as yeah. anything but a plot device. That's where Mr. Pointy yes. shows up too, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we've gotten through the major parts of this fight. The, 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 the scene after this fight is Willow and uh, The monkey pants! Oh, uh, yes. And the hippo and the, the, the animal crackers and oh my god. I I think we're actually speaking fangirl now. In this scene, uh, the only piece of trivia that I actually have for this episode was the line, I mock you with my monkey pants, was apparently from a dream that Allison had. And Joss decided to put it in the episode. And I love the fact that it becomes self-reflexive later, but that it, that's actually yeah. really cool. And the whole end bit of their conversation is all ad-libbed by Seth and Allison. Sweet. Right. Any, everything after you have the sweetest smile yeah. is all, yeah. like, improv. And it's... it. I'm sorry. They wrote some of the best dialogue. It's just... And it's so... It's great. If you guys could see me right now, I'm smiling so hard my face is hurting. And I was like... I, I'm like... There's like hearty eyes coming out of my face and I'm just like, it's so cute. I just, I love these two together and it's just like the one happy thing. So of course, you know, later on, of course it can't be happy anymore, but it is perfect. It is like perfect. At this time in the fandom, people shipped 
like like RPF wasn't really like a thing that people talked about. Like people knew that people did it, but it didn't really have a name or anything. But people shipped Seth Green and Allie Hannigan so fucking hard. Oh, I can see that. I mean, I wouldn't do it myself, but I totally see that. I didn't really because I thought I thought real people shipping was really weird. I still do. Yeah. Well, no, I mean I still yeah, do. I don't do RPF, yeah. but. Allie might have been d- dating Gingerfish at the time, but I mean, she, like she wasn't with Alexis yet. So, I mean, like we didn't really know anything much about their personal lives. So it's like, hmm, maybe they could get together, but I think they're like so brother and sisterly, but thankfully it comes off as really good romantic chemistry yeah, on the they screen. Just, yeah. The two of them just have like the best, like just mm-hmm. like organic chemistry. Yeah. It's not forced. It's not, and it's just really sweet and adorable. And they, it just, it, they fit together yeah. so well. So squeaky. So <laughs> I have kind of denigrated this episode these two episodes actually um i've not been very you know complimentary to them because i don't think they're really all that great i mean they're okay but just it's they're episodes that i'm just kind of like i want to watch it for the willow and oz scenes but one thing about these two episodes i will say is that i mean we were talking about peak david boreanaz before these episodes are the start of peak buffy kind of Absolutely. Because you've you've got the, the major change in the Slayer dynamic where there is more than one Slayer. We've got the establishment mm-hmm. of Willow and Oz and Xander and Cordelia. So when I think of Buffy and when a lot of people think of Buffy, they think of these dynamics. I mean, I think you've got like there's two very distinct eras when it comes to Buffy. And I would think that it would be season two. And season six. Yeah. And they're very, very different from each other. And this is mm-hmm. what I think a lot of people think of and they think of as the best era of Buffy. I, I don't know what that means. I, I just, you know, that this is kind of, you know, a landmark where it's like, yes, we, this is the show yeah, of Buffy. Yeah, this is, this is the beginning of that ball starting to roll. Yeah. I think a lot of the mythology of the series is being built up in a good way. And it's propelling forward, so definitely, yeah. While we do have some standalone episodes, we have gotten past that season one slash early season two thing of, oh, uh, well, we're going to do- All the hammer horn yeah, monsters. Basically, yeah. yeah. We're, they are establishing their own mythology, and we will- I mean, the whole reason why they had to get rid of the in every generation is because they needed to do a previously on instead. Yeah. Right. And I I think that yeah. this episode probably did have a previously on, which is why they didn't do the... I mean, I don't know, because since my, my episodes come off of DVD, they don't have the previously ons. But yeah, I think we are now getting into where Buffy is less about let's what hammer horror monster can we throw into this and let's actually explore our world that we have built. It's not flawless. It's actually incredibly flawed, but they are really starting to it is not a show that you can easily come into. And because I mean, like. Kendra comes back at the end of the season. You can't have not seen this episode. I think I like this episode more nostalgically because I think that I've told you guys that like I was so on board Prophecy Girl. I was pretty upset. Like I I was taping it. But this is that one I think I was like, okay, now I want to go to my computer. Now I want to know more about it. What's happening? I, you know, I wasn't able to do that because, you know, I lived in the dorm. It was the 90s and I didn't have a computer. But like I, this is about the time where I started buying the, about the time the Buffy magazines came out. Oh, the Buffy magazines. I remember those. Yeah. Which were kind of, I mean, they were fluff and promotion, but. 
I had them all. I loved all I of the stacks. posters that they had I think I them. still have some stacks in my mom's garage. You know, this is the point where I would buy those and I would, if I, if I was in the computer lab, you know, working on a paper, I would take long breaks and sit there and just like read everything I could about Buffy. One way to describe it is this is the point where they start using the season to tell a story instead of using an episode yeah. to tell a story. Yeah, you can see all the seeds sort of, especially in retrospect, you see where all the seeds are starting to get planted. The foundation is being built and it, yeah, it's going to create momentum. And they're also starting to do longer arcs, like just series-wide arcs, not just like, you know, an episode yes. or two here. So yeah. It's, I mean, exactly. I, I, they're I really essentially like it. using a larger yeah. canvas. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, story-wise, there's a lot of plot holes, there's a lot of logic holes, but I think especially in terms of character development and where they're going to start pivoting and, and sending people, this is really important as a as a foundation to sort of spring off of in the future. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Xander and Cordelia and Willow and Oz, they, this is kind of the first time that they've actually had character moments where they can establish their relationships. Like, yes, the whole Worm Man thing happened, but that's not the important part of that scene. The important part of the scene is actually that Xander and Cordelia hook up. And they do again, yeah. yeah. And they actually let it, take those moments to let us, you know, you know, experience them as couples rather than just, you know, having them be Buffy's wacky sidekicks. And I think even in this, we're getting more scenes of Buffy and Angel actually established as a couple. So I do think, like, the whole reason why they did this as a two-parter, even though the storyline probably, if they could whittle it down to, like, fit the actual story into one, but we would have lost those beautiful character moments, which are what are mm-hmm. what really drives us to the show and are the bits that we don't have a problem with. We have a problem with the plot, but actually there's so much good stuff in between that, that we excuse us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we were, I mean, we all have issues with Kendra and rightly so, but without Kendra and setting up the, the two Slayer thing and the fact that she's such a comparison to Buffy in terms of the way she was brought up. So we're starting to see Buffy's dilemma and Buffy's issues and how she handles things. And even the statement at the end that, you know, it's not a job, it's mm-hmm. you, it's part of you. It's really important. We need that in this series. So we're getting a lot more from it. Well, I mean, here is something that we have not really addressed. Buffy had talked about earlier, maybe when all of this is over, uh, Kendra becomes the Slayer and Buffy just fucks off to do whatever she wants. Right. That's right. When everything actually ends, Buffy never even considers it no right I, I actually have a note somewhere in the middle of my notes that said buffy oh baby or something like that it's like you know because she does they have that conversation where she's you know talking about maybe maybe i don't always have to do this maybe i can have another life which everything gets dashed again yeah but i don't feel like it's even getting dashed again i think it's and, and it is kind of uh bolstered by what kendra says Buffy can't step away from what she does, not because she absolutely has to do it, but because she has it's to hard. do it. Right. She she teaches Buffy that it's not just a job. You're treating it like you're you're it's an occupation and it's a call. And we'll even get into yeah. it in like Anne when Buffy ha- does try to run away from things and yeah. she then gets back into it because no, this is something that I have to do because I can't watch other people be hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I mean, it's like it's why she gets the class protector award because Buffy's a fucking hero, and that's just a part yep. of her DNA. It's not something that the Watchers Council or the Shadow Men gave her. Buffy is just somebody who cannot stand idly by. Right, and it's not even the powers. I fully believe that if she had never been called or chosen, that Buffy would have maybe grown out of her Cordelianess pretty fast, mm-hmm. you know, and become like a really like done something really like interesting with her life or something that helps because I think it's just it's part of who she is inside, yeah. like and and he innately. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost like the Harry Potter. You know, she's got that saving people thing, um, but it's 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 important that she yeah. does. Yeah. She's super great, my buffy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did want to m- mention that, um, and I read it all the time. There was a, a website, and it's still there. I looked it up. It's on Angel Fire, Angel Fire websites. Um, that was a, a, a Xander-centered like fanficy or thing. It was called Bucky's Fondue Hut. <laughs> okay, I don't think I ever went to that one. It's not great. I just looked it up. It's terrible, and it like loops. And there's a lot of looping on the yeah. page now, and I can't really find out any of the fanfic because. It's an old GeoCities or Angel Fire website, but that that was one of the ones. That that's one of the sad things about a lot of the fanfic that uh, it's gone. It is either gone yeah, or gone. if you go back and find the pages, that they're eye blisteringly bad looking pages. Oh my god, they're horrible. Or if you even go back and read some of the fanfic, it's like it was really good at the time, but then it's like oh, oh I, I tried. I went and looked at. Um, it was the something not pathetic Slayerettes archive. It's the the place where my one and only fan fiction, which we'll talk about when we talk about Helpless, was. And it was great for the time. And now I'm just like, oh my God, what is this shit? Most of my, well, okay. Like my actual stuff that I wrote when Buffy was on the air is really bad. And most of it is thankfully gone. But my virtual series that I wrote after Buffy, like I think I've, I started writing it immediately after Angel finished. That I actually am mm-hmm. still pretty proud of, except I would yeah, yeah. love to, I need to go back and edit it just because there are some really problematic things in it that weren't, I wasn't really aware of in like, uh, I guess 2005. For sure we all, yeah. Is that the Connor series? That is the Connor series, yes. Of course it is. Okay, yeah, I need to really... Eventually I'll read it once I actually have context of Connor, etc. Because I'm still not Angel... Whatever. I, I, I still haven't read Angel, watched Angel that much and know enough yeah. about it. It was really funny when uh, my mom baited that series for me. And she really loved it. But she didn't watch Angel. So I actually made her... We had a, a Connor 101 where she just watched from where the episodes where like Darla came in and she was pregnant... And then we watched all of the the Connor episodes, so she actually understood what was going on. Uh, she she had watched all of Buffy, uh, but for some reason Angel she never really caught on to. And like yeah. she had had she was she had been watching some of uh, Buffy with me uh, when when I was started rewatching it for the show, and sometimes I some of my comments were actually from her so uh, i'm glad mom ended up being a part of the show yay. In, in a, a yay that's great two random comments one why does willie's have a id required sign on the door what kind of id could a demon bar need it's probably just there so that when the police walk by they can say that there's a sign yeah. oh, okay and why does xander think the worm man is Latvian. I think I don't know because it's Xander. Okay, <laughs> he's just like he just makes up words. 
Those are <laughs> just two things that the... struck me as odd, so... He just is like, I'm gonna go ahead and say these words that I think are vaguely humorous and not really... Yeah. I was Xander being Xander. Admittedly, Latvian is, is a fairly yeah. funny word. Yeah, or maybe he was thinking that he was actually from Latveria, and he was trying to make a comic book <laughs> reference. Yeah, no, I think Latvian Bugman actually sounds really funny. It right, it, it has, it just, sometimes you get stuff like that, especially with Xander, because the line has a musical flow to it. Yeah. Uh, like, it has a okay. certain cadence and rhythm that just, like, really works with the way Xander talks and Nikki delivers, mm-hmm. so... Like, I sometimes I think it's just like a musical, sort of like composing. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. I think so, yes. Yeah. And Drew is wearing black yes. at the end. Yeah, she's, she's, awesome. she's changed positions in costume, so. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, interesting two parter. And. Yeah, we had a yeah. lot to say. Next week, I think we're going to have some interesting conversations about the episode oh, because yeah. we'll be reviewing <laughs> Ted. Yeah, and hopefully Logan will be on that one because I know she has some very strong feelings about the episode. Ted, we're gonna make we'll, we'll make sure, sure she's Logan on it. With you. We're thinking about yes, you, Logan. We love you. Yeah, we miss, we miss you. you. Until then, grr, arg, grr, arg, grr, arg, grr, arg. everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared liked and subscribed on social media if you'd like your questions or comments read on the show you can contact us on our website return to the hellmouth.com on youtube at return to the hellmouth on tumblr and facebook at return to the hellmouth on twitter at hellmouth return or on email at return to the hellmouth at gmail.com we'll be sure to read your comments on the show be sure to rate our show on itunes and stitcher see you on tuesday for ted Grr, arg.